Do you suffer from period pain or PMS? If you're like many, many women, the answer is yes. But what can you do about it? This week, I'm talking to Dr. Saru Bala, a licensed naturopathic doctor who has done extra training in the areas of women's health and naturopathic endocrinology. Her mission is to educate women all over about their periods, hormones, and overall health. She works one-on-one with women to address hormonal concerns without the use of birth control, and her primary focus is on managing chronic hormonal issues like PCOS, period pain, heavy bleeding, fibroids, endometriosis, Hashimoto's, fertility, and other women's hormone health concerns. In this episode, we talk about some of the reasons why you might be experiencing PMS and period pain and what you can actually do about it without resorting to hormonal birth control. Let's get started. Welcome to Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you're a busy woman struggling with hormonal issues like PCOS, fertility struggles, and other hormone imbalances, and you feel like you're the boss of your life in every area but your hormones, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Melissa Groves Azero, integrative women's health dietitian, coffee lover, cat lady, all black wearing, former New York City advertising exec turned professional period fairy. It's my mission to be the no BS hormone nutrition education resource for smart women struggling with hormone imbalances so you can have regular symptom-free periods and optimize your fertility naturally. I'm here to share real, actionable, science-based tips you can use to get real results without cutting out foods, spending hours in the gym or meal prepping, and without losing sleep, because we're all about balance here at The Hormone Dietitian, and I am so glad you're here. Let's get started. Hello, welcome Dr. Bala. I am so excited that you're here to talk with me today. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Awesome. Well, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, A little bit about me. So I am a naturopathic doctor and I specialize in women's hormonal health. Um, So I like to say everything from your first period until, until your last period. Um, and then all the things in between. So fertility, postpartum, any, um, uh, any hormonal issues that might come up with your period. So heavy bleeding, uh, endometriosis, PCOS, irregular periods, heavy bleeding. Did I already say that fibroids, <laughs> all, all of the things that could go wrong with your hormones. Um, definitely my favorite thing would probably be PMS and painful periods though. That's kind of two of my favorite topics to talk about. Yeah, those are both things that I personally experienced and how I ended up getting interested in this field in the first place. I actually diagnosed with PMDD um, finally after like years and years of not knowing. So totally with you in knowing how, how much of a difference nutrition and lifestyle can play in those diagnoses. 
Um, so we've, we've talked to other naturopathic doctors on the podcast before, but can you briefly explain a little bit about your background and how you ended up specializing in women's health and hormones? Yeah. So I myself had so many gut issues. I had a lot of period issues. I had a lot of hormonal issues. I feel like that's kind of how we all end up specializing in the thing we do is because we had it ourselves. Right. Um, so, so those are kind of my specialties because I dealt with it too. Um, and then as I just kind of got into practice, I was just seeing how many women were wanting an option that wasn't birth control and wanting just more education about their bodies, about what's going on with their hormones. And they just weren't getting it either from time with their provider or just the education that their provider had. They weren't, you know, educated on nutrition and lifestyle and, and alternatives to birth control. So I think a lot of people just seeing like how many women were out there being like, I want something else. And they weren't finding it, um, really kind of got me into, okay, well, one, I've dealt with this. I know exactly what they're going through. I've, I've been there. I've, I've experienced it all. And I've, I have the information and I want to be able to share it with everyone. And so that's kind of what spurred that for me was just seeing like, there's a huge discrepancy between, um, those people that don't want birth control and only being offered birth control, but there's so much gray area in what we can do as naturopathic doctors, as like a nutritionist, as, as whatever, there's so many alternatives to, um, to not wanting birth control that I wanted people to know about. So that's kind of what led me here. Yeah, I definitely want to dig into that a little deeper later in the episode. Um, but I want to start with something that a lot of women experience, PMS. What, mm-hmm. what is responsible for those PMS symptoms? Yeah, so PMS can come from a few different things. Um, first of all, what PMS is, is, um, the symptoms that are leading up to your period. Typically pain is kind of separate from PMS, but I know a lot of people kind of lump it together. So it depends on who you ask if pain is included in that or not, but typically it's the mood symptoms. It's that, um, moodiness, that irritability, that anxiety, that depression, that, um, that unstable emotion that you feel before your period, those are all PMS symptoms. Sometimes people also um, call issues with um, uh, acne or headaches or migraines. Those can all also be lumped into that PMS category as well. So, um, so because it's such a wide list of symptoms, there's a wide range of things that could be happening. The biggest one and the biggest um, thing that we see time and time again in the research is the um, factor of chronic stress. Chronic stress plays a huge role in a lot of those mood issues. Um, another thing that we're seeing is a blood sugar imbalance. So if you're insulin resistant, or if you just have some blood sugar dysregulation in general, your blood sugar isn't being stable throughout the day that can cause some issues with PMS symptoms. Um, we're also seeing an imbalance with your estrogen and progesterone levels. So that luteal phase estrogen, if that is elevated and, or if that progesterone in your luteal phase is really low, we're going to see some of these symptoms as well. So those are typically the main things that we see are, um, are kind of factors for those PMS symptoms. Yeah. I see so many women walking around with imbalanced blood sugar and not realizing it. I mean, obviously when we're working with something like PCOS, where insulin resistance plays a key role, that's one thing, but I think far too many women are grabbing a piece of fruit on the way to work and not keeping their blood sugar balanced and then 
wondering why they're having cravings for carbs later in the day. Yes. Yes. Cravings, bloatings. Those are a couple of the other symptoms as well. Um, categorized under PMS. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, along those lines, what would be some general tips for someone who's currently struggling with PMS? Yeah. So PMS, um, like I said, it depends on where it's coming from. How are your stress levels? Are you managing those stress levels? Well, what are you doing to kind of help, um, get yourself grounded and relax and, and take care of that nervous system activation? Are you in sympathetic fight or flight all day long and then go to sleep like that too? Are you doing anything to get into that parasympathetic state at all? That's going to be my first thing because the stress piece leads to those PMS issues way more than anything else that I've seen. And those are going to affect your hormones. So if your estrogen and progesterone are off, but your stress levels are really high, stress is still going to help with that. So it's, it's kind of like that big crux that you want to make sure you're addressing. So let's talk about that stress. Let's see where it's coming from. What can we do? Um, are you including something that makes you feel more relaxed and grounded? I typically like to say, Exercise is a huge one that I think a lot of people underestimate how much of an impact it can have on your mood and your stress. Um, so if you're not including some kind of activity daily, start there. Um, paced breathing is another really, really high yield, very easy way of regulating that nervous system, getting into that parasympathetic 10 minutes, twice a day is where the research is for anxiety and depression. And so I typically like to say morning and evening or in those transition periods, if stress is a really big, um, or sorry, if work is a really big stressor for you, do it right before you go into work, sit in your car, breathe for 10 minutes, then go into work. Um, and then at the end of your day, again, if work was really stressful and you have a hard time switching between work life and home life, especially if you're working from home nowadays, which is most people, um, kind of switching off from work mode and going into home mode when you're already at home can be really hard. So taking 10 minutes to stop and breathe in between when you're done with work and when you clock out to when you clock in at home can be really helpful, especially if you have kids. I know that's a big one for, for people with kids. Like if that's another one where I'm like, make sure you do that 10 minutes, give yourself that time, regulate your nervous system going from work to home. So you're not lashing out on your kids. You're not lashing out on your partners. You feel a little bit more stable. So 10 minutes of breathing twice a day. So, so effective for so many different things, um, can definitely help regulate that nervous system. And I've seen that change your progesterone level. So don't underestimate that breathing can make a big difference in your health. Yeah, I've definitely uh, seen the phenomenon of a lot of moms sitting in their cars uh, since oh, yeah. the start of the <laughs> pandemic. It's like, I can't go anywhere, but I'm just going to sit here for 10 yeah, minutes. Exactly. Um, just to I, have the alone time. Yeah, I personally like to do um, deep breathing um, right before lunch. So it can help me that. sort of wind down between appointments or meetings mm -hmm. and like get me into that rest and digest mode um, so that I don't experience gut symptoms from shoving my lunch in my face. Yes, I, I love that. Yeah. In the middle of the day is a perfect time to like break up your day too. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So are there things that uh, people who are struggling with PMS might want to consider getting tested for? Um, you mentioned estrogen and progesterone levels. Um, are there other things you might want to look at? Um, in general, I do always just like to see what are your vitamin D levels doing that can play a big role in your mood too. So that's always a good one. Your iron levels can play a big role in fatigue. So there, you know, are you anemic at all? What are your ferritin levels doing? How's your overall iron status? 
Um, I like to look at your blood sugar because like I mentioned, blood sugar is a huge one for your moods too. So what's your glucose, what's your A1C and your insulin. I feel like that insulin, no one ever checks that. So make sure that we're also looking at insulin, not just, um, fasting glucose and A1C, the insulin piece is important too. So on top of looking at estrogen and progesterone in your luteal phase, um, those are probably some of the other things that I'd consider. Yeah. And there's that huge connection in between you know, blood sugar and insulin regulation and cortisol, high cortisol Mm -hmm. issues, you know, it's sort of opposites when blood sugar goes low, cortisol goes high and cortisol being high raises blood sugar. So it's sort of a big messy cycle. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So are there any sort of general nutrition principles that can help with PMS? Nutrition wise, um, Let's see, where, where do I begin? I know, right? <laughs> um, I always like to say, let's address the gut and make sure you're pooping. If we're not excreting your hormones, then we're going to see that estrogen dominance kind of show up. Um, so you really want to make sure that whatever you're eating is, is facilitating you having healthy bowel movement. So, um, if you're eating things that are constipating you, typically I hate demonizing dairy, but that's just the one that I see over and over again for so many people, um, with PMS or pain or hormonal issues, I see time and time again, dairy ends up being the one that, that causes them the issues. So my thing is always do a three to four week trial, cut it out, do your symptoms improve. Usually you may not see a change in your PMS right away. It usually takes about two to three cycles before you see it. But if you notice other symptoms, like your sleep is better, your hair, your skin, your acne, your mood, your, um, your GI symptoms in particular, bloating, gas, constipation, diarrhea, if those kind of things improve within that three to four week frame, you probably know your periods may improve as well too, a little bit later on. Um, so try it out for three to four weeks and see if that is something that's an issue for you. If it's not great, still moderate it, but you know, you could still have it. Um, but if it is an issue, then you at least know where it's coming from. So even if you decide to eat it, you at least have the knowledge of, okay, I know I'm going to feel like this and it's correlated to that. And you don't feel crazy trying to chase a symptom. Yeah. Um, That that makes so much sense. mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of what I like to say. That's my spiel about dairy. Otherwise, um, finding foods that, that, you react to can also be helpful. Typically with pain and PMS, it's that inflammatory, that, um, piece that we're seeing. And so if there's something that is aggravating to you, try and figure that out. The big ones that we see are dairy, gluten, soy, um, alcohol, sugar. Those are kind of the main, um, foods that we see that are most inflammatory for people. So, you know, do a trial of them three to four weeks, cut it out, see how you feel. Otherwise, a typical thing that I like to say is one, to regulate that blood sugar, pair your carbs with protein, and then two, make sure you're eating veggies with every single meal and getting in that fiber, making sure you're pooping every day. Um, So those are kind of the biggest pieces I would talk about. It's going to vary depending on who I work with, um, but but those are the main things that I think most people could probably benefit from. Yeah, absolutely. Eating, eating more fruits and veggies is almost never a bad idea. Right. <laughs> um, what about supplements? So I see a lot of supplements on the market for PMS and hormone yeah. imbalance, um, you know, little gummies that are mm-hmm. cute. Um, yeah. 
What's the deal with supplements and PMS? Is there anything that might actually help or what? There are, there are definitely a lot of things that can help. I would say the ones that are being marketed to you are probably not going to be the ones that are going to be the most effective. Um, unfortunately I want them to be because, you know, they are getting a lot of, of, of press. Like everyone knows about them because they're in everybody's ads. Um, and it would be great if they worked for everyone, but I have some patients where, yeah, they're like, that worked really well for me. That was enough. Great. Most of the time I see that they don't work just because the dosing is not quite as high as I would like to see it. A lot of them do contain Vitex, um, which can be really helpful for some people. If, if, if it's an issue with your progesterone levels being low and your LH being low, um, if you have something like PCOS, I would say, be careful because LH levels can be elevated, um, in those with PCOS. So we don't want Vitex to, um, to make those a little bit higher, but typically what I see in those over the counter ones that are kind of marketed are that the dosing of like the magnesium or the B6 or the Vitex or the ashwagandha or the different herbs that are in there are not quite up to the standard or the dosing that has been researched or that is the most effective. So you can always try it out if it works for you. It's always, you know, always a plus, but as far as supplements, I like to kind of keep it basic. NAC is one of my favorite supplements for PMS, for PMDD, for pain, for liver health, for fertility, for hormones, for PCOS, for you name it. NAC is going to be helpful for, for pretty much everyone, men, women, everyone. Um, so that's one that I really, really love. There's been some research to show that PMS is as effective at, um, um, treating mood disorders as, um, fluoxetine. So Prozac. So that has, yeah, been, I just saw that. Yeah. 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 So that's something that I found super interesting when I saw that I was like, wow, that's, that's big because NAC is very inexpensive. It is not one of those like super expensive supplements. that's going to break the bank and it's so effective and works on so many different pathways in your body. So it's not even just addressing this one piece. It's addressing so many other pieces in your body. So Love, love, love NAC um, for a lot of different reasons, but that is one of them, PMS um, and PMDD. Um, another one that I would love, depending on what your estrogen levels are, DIM. DIM can be really helpful for a lot of women. Um, it only works on that phase one and phase two metabolism in your liver, though. It doesn't work on that gut excretion of your estrogen. So working on your gut health is still important because you don't want to upregulate everything in your liver and then it gets stuck in your gut. So um so DIM can be really helpful if you have really elevated estrogen levels and if it's an issue with your liver metabolism of your estrogen. Yeah. It's DIM is when definitely you need, I won't recommend DIM unless someone's had thorough hormone testing because mm -hmm. I've had far too many people come in and see me taking DIM because they thought it was yes. good for estrogen dominance, but it turns out their estrogen's not high and they're literally mm -hmm. throwing themselves into like menopausal symptoms of hot flashes. hundred oh, like percent. You are so right. Yes, yes, yes. So very important to know exactly where your estrogen levels are at and how your estrogen is also getting metabolized in your liver, because that can also make a difference for, um, for whether you should or shouldn't take that. Yeah. So I also love NAC. Um, I actually made a reel a few months ago. That's like my love letter to NAC. And <laughs> they were talking about, um, you know, the FDA looking uh -huh. into taking it off the market because basically, cause it's so effective, um, and giving it like drug status. Um, 
doesn't look like that's going to happen. I just saw that the other day, but I did make a little love letter to NAC. I know. I feel like I have this like weird obsession with NAC, like this inanimate object that (laughs) can never reciprocate the love that I have for it. But oh my God, NAC. Yes. Yeah. The other thing, you know, and I, I did a whole episode on hormone balancing supplements and what to look out for, but really like the main thing with those ones that are on the market is you don't even really know how much of the active ingredients are in them because a lot of them, they just say proprietary blend of, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, whatever, whatever ingredients are listed under that are going to be less than the total amount of the proprietary blend. Exactly. Yes. That's so funny. I just made a reel about that, (laughs) about like the proprietary blend and how, if I see that on there, I usually say no to the supplement because you don't know how much is in it. Yeah. And definitely, you know, it's with things like Vitex starting that at way higher doses than what's in those other supplements. And Mm -hmm. as a dietitian, I get a little concerned about too much B6 too. Like I see really high levels of B6 that I would never want someone on day after day, month after month, you know? Right. Right. Yes. I think people don't realize it's more for a short-term use. Yep. Yeah. So you mentioned PMDD. Um, Is the way that you approach PMDD different than PMS or are there similarities? There's a lot of similarities. So um, PMS and PMDD are very, they're one in the same, but they're also not. So PMDD is typically what we would say when the PMS is so bad that it's affecting your daily life. Um, that's when it gets to the point of it's, it's PMDD. And so a lot of the, the things that we do are very, very similar. Um, we might, depending on how bad it is, if it's to the point where you're not able to function at all, and you're having a really tough time making some of the changes or adding in some of these things and doing the nutritional pieces, then we might consider, um, kind of pulling you out of that hole in whatever way we need to, if an antidepressant is it, then, you know, that's kind of where we'll, we'll start you on and then get you doing some of these other pieces and then eventually get you off of that antidepressant. So depending on how severe your PMDD is, it's kind of, we modulate based on where you're at. Yeah. That's typically one in the same. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much what ended up happening with me. We did, we ended up doing the pill continuously. So no break. Mm-hmm. Um, and an SNRI, so mm-hmm. together, but like then I was able to get crawl out of that hole yep. and be able to work on all of the things. Exactly. Um, you know, so it was did turn out to be temporary. I think the problem is when it's presented like, well, this is your option and right. forever, you know, right. exactly. Um, yeah, you're like, I don't want to be on this forever, but yeah, when it's temporary and it helps you to get out of that dark place that you're in that's exactly like what we're doing is, is helping you, whether that's naturally, whether that's not, we're putting both of those methods together. Sometimes, you know, short-term antidepressants can be really helpful. Yeah. They can, you know, get you out of that hole so that you're able to work on that nutrition and lifestyle piece, um, you know, and, and maybe make the gradual shift over towards more natural Absolutely. supplementation options for sure. Exactly. Yeah. I can't expect you to change your diet when you're already having a hard time just eating any meals. Yeah. If you had told me to, to get up and move my body 30 minutes a day mm-hmm. during that point, I would have like maybe been arrested for homicide, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
There's only, only so much uh, you can do. Um, So let's move on to pain because I know that's another one that you talk about a lot and you're really passionate about. Um, And one of the things that I see that I get very angry about is that pain, you know, it's a misconception that pain is a symptom of PCOS, Mm -hmm. Um, but it is a symptom of a lot of other conditions. And I always tell people with PCOS, you know, just because you have a PCOS diagnosis doesn't mean that you don't also have other hormone imbalance or hormone driven issues going on. Um, so what are some of those other conditions that could cause period pain or pain at other points in the cycle? Yeah. So Typically with um, pain or dysmenorrhea, we see the primary and secondary dysmenorrhea. And so secondary dysmenorrhea basically means that it's a secondary, the pain is secondary to something else, um, like fibroids, endometriosis, um, adenomyosis, or um, polyps, cysts, infections, something is causing, something that we know is causing that pain. And then there's primary dysmenorrhea. Primary dysmenorrhea is um, that excess in prostaglandins, um, which is basically just inflammation. So that you just have a lot of inflammation that's causing um, all of that excess pain. So prostaglandins are necessary. We need a small amount because that's what's responsible for kind of contracting that uterus, expelling that lining. When we have too much of it, that's when it becomes an issue. That's when the pain is is too much. So there's two different kinds of pain that you might be having. So one, figuring out, is it due to some other cause? Um, If it's not, then kind of addressing that inflammation. But I like to say, even if you do have a secondary cause of your pain, there's still so much that we can do. If it is endometriosis, if it is a fibroid, if it is a cyst, if you do have something going on there, we need to address that. Typically, I see that that's related to higher estrogen levels, things like fibroids, things like cysts, those are all stimulated by estrogen. And so if you, if your estrogen levels are just through the roof, that's going to stimulate that endometriosis. That's going to stimulate that fibroid to grow and get bigger and worsen the pain. And so it's kind of a twofold of treating that inflammatory piece and also treating that estrogen hormonal component and lowering, um, the growth of, or limiting the growth of the fibroid, limiting the growth of those endometrial lesions and, and so on. Yeah. And some of the things that you would do to lower inflammation would also be effective ways to lower prostaglandins as well, even if it was a primary dysmenorrhea type of situation, right? Like, Mm -hmm fish oil, omega-3 is that kind of thing. Exactly. Yep. And then the stress piece can be huge too. Um, going back to that PMS, it also gets linked with pain. So stress is a huge one too. Um, and honestly that can also lower those estrogen levels, increase those progesterone levels. So working on inflammation is not just like a, we're hitting one thing. We're kind of hitting a ton of things when we work on that. Yeah. I see, um, I see a lot of women struggling to get proper diagnosis when they are dealing with pain and we know, you know, endometriosis, for example, is, you know, it takes about 10 years to get diagnosed with endometriosis. Um, you know, and I, that's why we're so grateful for doctors like you who can, you know, we can refer people to, to get some answers. Um, what, you know, really how should someone approach it if they are dealing with period pain regularly? Like, are there tests they should push for or, Mm -hmm. you know, what else should they consider? 
Yeah. So with endometriosis, that's such a tricky one because the procedure to know for sure, whether you have endometriosis is surgery. Like we have to go in, we have to go look at whether or not you have those lesions present. And so that can be just a little bit more invasive. So a lot of people don't like to do, I actually had a patient last week who was like my entire family, like all of her aunts, all of her sisters, her grandma, her mom all had endometriosis and her OB was like, you're too young. You don't have it. We're not going to check you. I know. And so that in that case, it's like, well, what can you do? Either find another doctor or just wait it out. Um, so that can be hard for, you know, when you're asking, you have this very strong family history. So what you can do is still just address it in the same way. The way that I would address it is again, talking about that inflammatory piece, looking at your estrogen, working on those two pieces, um, in whatever way we can. And, and if you, if you, if we suspect that that's what it is, we're still addressing it the same way. Um, until you can find someone who's willing to test, but typically you can't see on an ultrasound for sure, whether you have it or not, if it's super severe and it shows up on an ultrasound, then we know for sure you have it. But if it doesn't show up on an ultrasound, that doesn't mean you don't have it. So, um, so it's kind of hard to, to look at just imaging. There are no real blood tests that would tell you either way. Um, so really it's that, that, procedure of, of having them go in and actually take a look inside and see if you have those lesions present. I think that's such an important point, you know, when it comes to any hormone imbalance issues um, is sometimes you don't need that actual diagnosis. It's like mm-hmm. you can, you can work on blood sugar balance and inflammation mm-hmm. and gut health and mm-hmm. hormone health and, managing your stress and moving your body and getting more sleep. Like you can do all of those things. Um, and they're not going to be harmful, um, no matter what your actual diagnosis is, you know? Absolutely. Yes. That's so important. I know. I think a lot of people are, are always trying to chase that diagnosis. And I like to say like, is that changing what we're doing? Even if you have the diagnosis of endometriosis versus not like if you have the pain, Um, we're going to be treating that and we're going to be looking at the hormones that we can see and see what's going on. And and so whether you have the diagnosis or not, doesn't always change my treatment plan. It's just kind of nice to know if that's something that you're dealing with. Yeah. hundred percent with you on that one. Hey there, quick break in the episode to jump in and tell you about a brand new live workshop I'm doing in June. As a dietitian who's worked with thousands of women with PCOS, there are two reasons why most women schedule an appointment to see me. The first is that they're trying to get pregnant, but they aren't having regular cycles. The second is that they're trying to lose weight or their doctor told them to lose weight so that they can get regular cycles, get pregnant, or lower risks for diabetes and other long-term risks of PCOS. But if you've ever actually tried to lose weight with PCOS, and let's face it, you've probably tried at least a dozen different ways, you've probably realized that the same rules don't apply when it comes to PCOS and weight. It's not as simple as calories in, calories out, or eat less and move more. Maybe you signed up for a boot camp with your bestie and your bestie lost 15 pounds while you worked just as hard and gained a pound and a half. 
You're right. The same rules don't apply. But that doesn't mean that weight loss is impossible with PCOS. We just have to approach it differently. First, did you know that weight is actually a symptom of PCOS? Just like your other symptoms like acne and hirsutism and irregular cycles. So trying to manage a symptom like weight without addressing the root causes of that symptom isn't going to get you very far. So in my new workshop, Losing Weight with PCOS, we're going to be talking about all the reasons why it's so hard to lose weight with PCOS, why focusing on the scale is the wrong approach, and what to focus on instead. And the best part is it doesn't involve giving up any of your favorite foods, and it will include a bonus one-week meal plan and recipes to help support you. Losing Weight with PCOS is happening live on June 15th, and it will be recorded if you can't make it, but of course you'll want to show up live to get your questions answered. Register today at thehormonedietitian.com forward slash PCOS weight. That's losing weight with PCOS at thehormonedietitian.com forward slash PCOS weight, all one word, P-C-O-S-W-E-I-G-H-T. Okay, back to the episode. So a lot of times um, my clients and women that I hear from will ask their doctors for help when it comes to managing period pain. Um, and they're really just told, well, you can take the pill. Um, so are there other options for managing pain besides the pill? Oh, absolutely. That is like my whole favorite thing is talk about all the ways that you can manage your pain without the pill. Um, stress going to just keep saying that until I'm blue in the face, managing that stress, lowering that cortisol, or at least regulating that cortisol is going to be really helpful. Regulating your nervous system. It, it is amazing how inflammatory cortisol can be. Um, so really working on that piece can make a huge difference. Um, so adrenal support, I love having adrenal support on board that can really help with your stress too. Um, and then talking about the estrogen, increasing those progesterone levels. How can we, how is your liver metabolizing that estrogen? Do we need to work on that piece? Do we need to work on gut excretion of your hormones? Do we need to work on, um, increasing your progesterone? Why is it low in the first place? Um, where is, where is that stemming from? Is it stress? Is it your nutrition? What's going on there? So, so many different avenues. So when I work with you, I like to say, what is your biggest factor is for some people it's right away. It's that gut piece. They're like, I'm bloated. I have acid reflux. I have GERD. Like I have, um, a constipation and or diarrhea. I was diagnosed with IBS and it's just all these red flags. It's like, Oh, for you, it's the gut. Then there's other people where it's like, you know, my gut's fine, but they have an insane level of stress and they, um, don't sleep very well. And they have a hard time falling asleep, staying asleep, waking up really tired. They just started a new job and they're stressed, you know? And so then it's like, okay, well for you, it's the stress. So depending on what I'm working on you with, it really makes a difference. But again, gut health, stress, you can never go wrong there. Um, and then adding in some anti-inflammatories that can also be really helpful. One of my favorites is curcumin. Um, mm -hmm. That's always a great one. Boswellia is one that I think a lot of people don't know about. Boswellia is a really great one too. It's really helpful for IBD, for gut health issues, and for pain and inflammation. Um, I've used it in a few patients too who have arthritis, which is really helpful. 
Um, so very anti-inflammatory. That's great. Um, castor oil packs, love castor oil packs mm -hmm. for, for not only for the pain, but also for heavy bleeding. I find that that works really well for both of them. Um, and sometimes those two go hand in hand. And so it's kind of a, a two birds, one stone kind of thing. So castor oil packs are a really great one. Um, if you're diligent and care enough to stick with it, seed cycling can also be really helpful for some people. I would say about 50 to 60% of the time that helps for pain. So not everyone, but you know, that's a pretty big amount for, for just eating seeds, I would say to, to improve pain. Awesome. That's really is when uh, my husband has ulcerative colitis. So oh. recently started him on it and I have yet to grill him about his bowel habits. Since, oh my God. Um, yeah. I, just, I have IBD. And so Boswellia was life-changing for me. I loved it. Yeah. I've had him on curcumin for a really long time and, you know, we kind of rotate things, but yeah. I figured I'd give this new one a try and see if it yeah, makes a difference. Great. Yeah. I would love to hear if he notices the difference. <laughs> I'll have to ask him uh, next time. Next time I'm grilling him about his bowel health <laughs> over a romantic date night. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, will, I will let you know. Um, so while we're on the topic of, of things that aren't normal when it comes to menstrual cycles, um, what about irregular bleeding? And in particular, bleeding that happens between periods, is that ever normal or what are some of the possible causes of that? Yeah. So that can definitely be happening for, it could be normal. Like if it's, um, Sometimes some people get like implantation bleeding. If you're trying, that can be normal. Um, some people get some spotting around ovulation for a day or two. That can be normal. If it's more than that, um, or if it's like heavier than just spotting, that's when it's like, okay, well, what's going on? Um, and typically if you find that you're always spotting for like a week before your period, that usually um, is a sign that estrogen levels are a little bit higher. Um, it's called the breakthrough bleeding. So typically when we see spotting, outside of your period, I like to look at your estrogen levels and see what's happening there. That makes sense. And there are other diagnoses too, that can cause abnormal bleeding and things like mm -hmm. anovulation or having an ovulatory cycle, but totally. yeah. Thyroid issues for sure. I'd like to make sure your thyroid is doing okay. Cause that can cause some of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you often we back to the pill, um, cause you speak out about the pill all the time. And I know, you know, similar to me, like not to bash the pill in any way, it's, you know, a very effective contraceptive, um, but it's not a solution for hormone issues. Um, why is that? <laughs> yeah. So I think, I want to say it in a way that's not, you know, um, so with the pill, the pill is stopping ovulation. So without ovulation, you're not getting a period. You have that withdrawal bleed that's coming from you taking away those hormones. Um, whether you took that, whether you took that placebo week at 28 days or 38 days or 58 days, you would have that bleed at that point. And so that's not a true period. You're not, your hormones aren't fluctuating up and down. Um, if you look at a graph of what your periods are doing when they are normal, it's, it's beautiful. There's all these up and downs. There's so many different hormones. There's your FSH and your LH, your estradiol, your progesterone. There's so many different things going on. You don't have any of that when you have the, the pill, it's really just stopping ovulation. 
because it's doing what it's meant to do, which is prevent birth um, or prevent um, conception. And so, so without all of those hormonal fluctuations, you're just, you're not getting those you're not addressing really anything. The pill just kind of masks your symptoms. You don't, you're not addressing the gut health piece. You're not addressing your stress piece. You're not addressing the nutrition piece. You're not addressing that inflammatory piece. You're just kind of covering up that you have those symptoms. And as soon as you get off the pill, usually those symptoms come back and oftentimes they're worse than where they were when you started because you kind of let all those other things fester for so long without addressing them. So that's kind of why I don't like to say, I, I'm not, against the pill. If you want to use the pill and you feel like that's the best solution for you, that's great. I just really want people to know and be educated that one, it's not treating your, your, your problems. And two, there are other options. I think a lot of people just don't even know that there are other options. So I really like to make that clear one, you have other options Two, um, you know, it's not treating the root cause. If you're just looking for a symptomatic cover-up, sometimes we take ibuprofen because that's just what we need to do. And that's okay. So if that's what you're looking for with the pill, then that's fine. That's your choice, but just know that there are other options if you wanted them. Absolutely. I, I definitely, you know, especially with like my grad school clients or people who, who just, they don't have time for the other options. And they're just like, you know what, this is working for now. Um, I'm good. And it's, you know, no judgment about that, but I, I do always ask why someone went on the pill in the first place. Cause if it always. was for any reason other than contraception, mm-hmm. that reason is just going to come back the second you stop, you know, yeah. I love when, it, when I have a, a patient who's trying to get pregnant and, you know, especially with PCOS and they don't have regular cycles and their mm-hmm. doctor says, well, just take the pill and then you'll have regular cycles. And it's like, well, <laughs> I'm trying to get pregnant. Like you're right. telling me to, I know, like I the know. math, the math just isn't mathing, you it's know, not mathing. I agree. I never understood why they say to take birth control when you're trying to get pregnant, even though, yeah, it's just, yep. The math doesn't math. <laughs> So what are some of the options that people have if they want to come off hormonal birth control? Yeah. Um, I say just stop it. Um, I don't like if you're, if you're taking the pill, just, I think people are like, Oh, I have to finish at a certain, it doesn't matter. You can stop it at any point day one, day 20, it doesn't matter. Um, and then we, I always like to support your liver metabolism of those hormones, making sure we're clearing those out, making sure that, um, your liver is kind of doing its thing for when your actual hormones do kind of kick back online, um, making sure that your liver is able to process those, making sure we're addressing the gut health, making sure we're addressing your nutrition and your stress. All of these pieces are just things I, I address with everyone regardless, because they make such a difference for your hormones. So whether you're on the pill or not, those are things that we would address anyway, and getting off of the pill, we're going to, you know, kind of start that so that you're, you're in a good place for when you do get your periods back. Um, they're not horrible, miserable, and you're not dying from pain. I literally just recorded a module for my period problems course and said pretty much the exact same thing. Like there's nothing special you have to do when you go off the pill. It's all of the things that I recommend anyway, you know, um, 
just supporting the gut and liver and getting those nutrients in and making sure we're detoxing our estrogen down the right pathways and exactly. working on stress and sleep and all those yeah, good things. Exactly. But exactly. Yeah. It's not anything. Cause I think a lot of people are like, well, how do I transition off of it? What do I do? I need to detox. You know, there's nothing special you need to do. Just the usual things that you want to be working on for your overall health are going to be helpful. Yeah, I really find that for my clients who we've already been working on blood sugar balancing, inflammation, gut and hormones, they come off with, you know, mild to no symptoms um, after going off the pill. So it's really, there's no special magic pill detox that you need. Just do the things you should be doing anyway, really. Exactly. Um, so I know you're a huge fan of tracking your cycles, um, not only for fertility purposes, but just to be aware of when symptoms might happen, what's normal for you. Um, what are some of the other benefits of learning how to track your menstrual cycles? Oh my God, where do I even start with this? So I love just you knowing about your body. Um, I like to say that your periods are like a vital sign because the same way that your blood pressure and your temperature and your heart rate, all of that is telling us something important about your body. The same thing is going on with your periods. If they're too light, if they're too heavy, if they're really painful, if they're irregular, if they, if you have PMS symptoms, um, if you have acne versus headaches, if you have like a histamine intolerance, if you get rashes, um, all of these symptoms are telling me something about your hormones or telling me something about your body. So it's such good information. Um, so that you're more in tune with what you're eating, what you're doing, how you're sleeping, how your stress is affecting everything. Um, I remember when I was in school, I missed a period. I, I thought I was pregnant because I had never in my life missed a period ever. And I missed a period and I was like, what happened? I was just so stressed that I missed a period. So knowing that that level of stress is kind of my threshold, um, was good information. I was like, okay, I need to work on my stress levels because clearly the schedule that I have now is, is not doing it for me. So just knowing your body enough to, to gauge what works for you and what doesn't that threshold is going to be different for everybody. Um, for some people, they may be able to eat whatever they want and still be okay. Whereas some people need to kind of be a little bit more strict about what they're eating as far as their blood sugar and their, um, and their, um, their exercise levels or stress levels, whatever it is. So, so tracking your periods gives you and your practitioner so much information on what's happening with your hormones. Is there enough estrogen? Is there too much estrogen? Is there not enough progesterone? Um, do we need to worry about PCOS? Do we need to worry about blood sugar? Do we need to worry about testosterone? So, so many things, so many, so much guidance just from you telling me what your periods are like. I think, you know, culturally in the U S it's, um, really so tied to fertility, you know, tracking your cycles is something that people sort of stumble upon when they're having trouble getting pregnant. And it's like, Oh wait, maybe, maybe I need to take a look at this, but in other cultures, it's just part of, you know, being a woman and learning your cycle and Uh learning your body's own patterns. Um, you know, and I, 
I don't know if my theories on why, you know, with, with the U S history uh, and, no, you know, Puritan I, backgrounds I really and that. And I also just like, I feel like a lot many other cultures have such a different view on women in general. I feel like, um, regardless of if they're like a patriarchal like structure, they still honor that women bleed and that they make, you know, babies and whatever. And like, the, the things that our bodies do are still honored and, and held in a different light than they are here, I think. Oh, yeah. Don't even get me started on the postpartum period and oh the first trimester yeah. yep. here oh, versus other places. Um, speaking of that, you have a little one at home. I do. So cute. Yeah, <laughs> she's seven months old now. Um, very crazy. I feel like I just had her and already here we are seven months later. <laughs> Yeah, I really, I, you know, totally agree. We don't really honor that postpartum period here and we don't, society doesn't really support women. In fact, it's like actively antagonizing women during that time period. I know. It's awful. I, Um, when I I was pregnant, when I went to India to visit my family, um, and I was only like 14 weeks at that time, I was barely showing, Um, and literally they wouldn't let me do anything. They were like, no, you're pregnant. Like you just need to lay there and eat all day. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I'm not even at that point where, where I want to be laying down. Like I I'm good. (laughs) Wait till I'm in my third trimester and I'm waddling around, then do stuff for me. But like right now I'm good. And, but it's just so different there. Like it, you know, like they, they're like, no, 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 let me take care of you. Like your husband should be doing these things for you. Like, you know, you need to be taken care of. Whereas here it's like, you work up until like you're crowning and then <laughs> you get like a couple weeks off and then you're right back over there. So very different. I can't remember what election it was for. It was definitely like a local election. I can't remember if it was for a mayor, but I recently saw a, a candidate giving her speech like the day of the election as she was in labor. Like, like right up, like, because her, um, her opponent wouldn't reschedule the debate when she went into labor. So she was like, fine, I'll come do it. And she stood there on stage in labor, giving the debate. (laughs) So brutal. So wrong. Um, speaking of, of controversial topics, um, I think the word detox is somewhat of a dirty word in some circles. I personally have received some uh, less than nice comments for using it in my uh, social media posts, Um, but it's basically, it's a medical term and it's the process by which your body gets rid of toxins, including hormones. Once we no longer need them. Um, which is totally different than the concept of a detox or a cleanse exactly. to balance your hormones. Um, you know, and I know you're in line with, with me on these things, but you know, there are ways to support the body's own natural mm-hmm. detoxification processes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I think the word detox gets a bad rap because a lot of people have just been kind of butchering the way that it should be used. Like, I don't think we need to be doing, um, like a 21 day cleanse and doing, you know, things like that, that are, are not necessary because every single day, every single minute, your body is detoxing. Like our body has to do that. Um, so like from your breath, from your poop, from your urine, from your, 
um, your liver, like your skin, all of that is it's constantly happening. That's what our bodies are designed to do. We put something in that shouldn't be there. It's going to get rid of it. So I don't think we necessarily need those 21 days or three months or juice fast, you know, whatever it is. It's like, if we are doing things on a regular basis, you are not going to need that huge push of let's get and flush your system support your skin for by sweating 30 minutes every day so that you can push things out through your skin support your kidneys by peeing regularly and peeing enough and drinking enough water support your gut by pooping and having regular bowel movements every day healthy bowel movements every day support your lungs from doing deep breathing every day like these are the things we should be doing on a daily basis to let your body do the things that it naturally knows how to do so you don't need to be doing a three week, you know, juice fast or taking a, a ton of harsh supplements to kind of kickstart it. Like your liver, your, your kidney, your gut, it all knows exactly what it needs to do. Just let it do the things that it needs to do. Don't wear a bunch of antiperspirant and block yourself from sweating on a daily basis. Don't, um, you know, consume a ton of alcohol and then also wear a ton of perfume and then never eat healthy. Like those are just little things that we can do to, to support our body naturally every single day. Yeah. I often hear, um, from some of the more conventional dietitians, the whole rhetoric, like, well, you have a liver and you have kidneys. Um, so you don't need to support your detox because they do it naturally. But I think, you know, that's really not taking into account the massive load of endocrine disruptors and other environmental toxicants that we're exposed to on a daily basis. It doesn't take into account bioindividuality and genetic uh, gene SNPs that are preventing detox from happening efficiently. Um, you know, but, but it doesn't need to be this like juice fast. Right. It doesn't have to be one extreme or the other of like never support anything and don't live healthy. And it also doesn't have to be like, be super, you know, super crazy about doing detoxes all the time. Um, I think there's a happy medium and that's just everything in moderation. (laughs) And yeah, I totally agree. Like with where our life, I think like decades ago, yes, that would have been great, you know, but right now with the amount of pollution in our environment, the amount of, of uh, yeah, endocrine disruptors, the amount of things that we put, I think the amount of alcohol people consume nowadays too, on a daily basis, that in and of itself is crazy. And then the amount of processed foods we have, the amount of things that like heavy metal, we're finding plastics and heavy metals in infants that are just born in the umbilical cord blood. Like it's everywhere. You're born with it now. That wasn't the case a hundred years ago. That wasn't the case a few decades ago. So I think if we're not considering that our liver just has a much higher burden than we did a few decades ago, then we're, I think we're, you know, missing the point there. Yeah. Yeah. The, the endocrine disruptor piece is, is a really big piece and it's just, it's not going away, you know, and it's, it's just gotten worse. Um, so yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. I'm a hundred percent on board with that. Um, what is something I ask everyone before we wrap up is what's one thing that you would want women struggling with PMS or period pain or hormone imbalances to take away from this episode? Yeah. Um, basically just knowing that one, your symptoms don't have to be just how you live. Cause I think a lot of 
a lot of more conventional people do kind of dismiss the fact that, well, all women have period pain, all women have PMS. That's just the, that's just the package of being a woman when no, that's not, you can have a period and never know you're getting a period and not even notice it. Like it is possible. I promise. Um, so don't let somebody tell you that it's just normal and dismiss the fact that you have PMS symptoms or that you have pain because that's your body's way of talking to you. It's your body's way of telling you something is going on. And so if you're not going to listen, then that's when you start to see issues come up later. So don't, don't let other people dismiss that you are having the pain that you have the PMS and don't let anyone tell you that it's normal. Yeah. I would like to follow that by saying that once you do experience one of those periods that comes without warning and without (laughs) symptoms, it's like, addictive. Like you're going to, it's like a high, you're going to be chasing that high. Like (laughs) I want more periods like that. That's so funny. That's such a good way of putting it. Cause that's exactly what happened to me. When I had my first period like that, I was like, what did I do? I need to do that again. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't even know that was possible before that happened for me the first time. And then I was like, okay, we're going to do everything within our power to make this happen every time. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't always, it doesn't, you know, right like now. you, you said. eventually hit that stride and balance, but yes, that's totally what it's like. It's like chasing high. <laughs> it's, you know, when, when you mentioned it though, it's like, sometimes, you know, if I am having a rougher period or I have like a pimple pop up and I'm like, Oh, I remember what I did. Mm-hmm. Like, I know, mm-hmm. I know what that's from, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can usually connect the dots, but you have to be aware of what's going on in the first place in order to, you know, see those patterns and those connections. Um, so wonderful. Tell the audience where they can find you and how they can work with you. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say the best way to work with me is just hopping on a discovery call. We can talk about any questions you have. Um, I love being able to like meet people that way. So they're free calls. You can, you can, um, book that with the link in my bio. I have, um, I'm pretty active on Instagram and TikTok. So either one of those definitely send me a message on Instagram. I'm happy to chat with you about any questions that you might have. Um, I also just released my period pain and PMS guide. It is a free download. So go and get that. It has, um, a lot of the things that we talked about today and then kind of how to implement them. And then a couple of other things that we didn't talk about today, uh, as far as like how to deal with your pain, how to deal with your PMS symptoms. So that is kind of where I'm at. Um, if you have any questions, please feel free to DM me. I love, love, love chatting with people in Instagram. And you are uh, Dr. Saru Bala on Instagram, right? Yep, on Instagram and TikTok. Yep. Awesome. And I am going to drop that link for the, the hormones guide in the show notes. So Uh, people can head on over and download that as well. Thank you so, so much for joining me. Um, I'm glad I found you on Instagram as well. It's uh, always nice to connect with fellow uh, hormone enthusiasts, um, (laughs) multi-passionate hormone enthusiasts. Um, So thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thank you everyone for listening. We will be back next week with a new episode. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. 
If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could open up the podcast app you're probably using to listen to this episode right now and leave a quick rating or review. Your reviews help this podcast get seen by more women who could benefit from the information I share here. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, stay balanced. Stay balanced.